This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Artscast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. Komikaela Naiman Tokuingua. My name is Michaela Naiman and I'm your host. Welcome. This show focuses on the arts and creativity in Taranaki and beyond. We aim to cover the diversity of arts from painting, literature, songwriting, theatre, pottery, poetry, sculpture and how the creative arts contribute to our community as well as our own sense of purpose and well-being. The Sugarloafing Artscast is generously supported by the Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Centre. Stay tuned to find out more. Welcome to the Sugarloafing Artscast. You're listening to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM and I'm Michaela Nyman and your host today. We are grateful for the sponsorship of Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Centre. And with me in the studio today, I have a young emerging artist who won the George Mason Visual Arts Scholarship this year with her beautiful and thought-provoking work. Welcome, Sukina Shah. Hi, Michaela. <laughs> so lovely to have you here. I'm so grateful to be here. And congratulations. Thank you. That's pretty amazing. So... This um, The George Mason Visual Arts Scholarship was launched in 2016 and it is managed by the Covet Brewster Art Gallery. And the objective of the George Mason Visual Arts Scholarship is to assist a senior secondary school student to continue their visual arts study at a tertiary level, including Maori visual art, design, architecture courses. So this year you took out the $3,000 scholarship (laughs) uh, with your art piece with the title to be a brown woman what was your reaction when you uh, learned of it I I didn't actually believe it at first because (laughs) I started so late with my artboard compared to everyone else and also seeing how incredibly talented everyone at my school is I was just like why me (laughs) I I don't know I I guess I kind of underestimated myself a little bit and but I think I'd like people to see my work is one of the main things. Mm. And how did they contact you? Did someone phone you or did they send an email or how did you learn about it? Um I was sent an email from Chris Barry and yeah that's when I found out and I I told my teachers and we were so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should be, because that is uh, pretty special. Uh, But this also means that uh, you need to dedicate the next few years to art. Mm -hmm. And uh, was that your plan Um, anyway? Yes, it was, because one of the requirements to apply for the scholarship was to take visual arts for the next three years at a tertiary level and I was going to take law conjoined with fine arts anyway because those are two things that I really care about. I I want a lot of my works have a political message and I'd, and I'd like to portray that and I'm a creative person. I do almost everything 
in the arts, performing arts, visual arts. Um, and doing both together allows me to kind of open up pathways and try so many different things with both. Mm. Sounds amazing. And this winning artwork, it is a critical examination of the experience of women in a post-colonization um, South Asia through an artist's eyes. Uh, I think it's an absolutely stunning piece of work. <laughs> Thank you. So can you tell us a bit about how you then settled on this? You said you were a bit behind in um, making your board because this was your art project, Year 13 portfolio, wasn't yeah. it? So I actually started in the second term of school instead of first in painting. So I only really had two and a half terms to make this whole um, board, the three panel board. And so at first my ideas were quite like shallow, lacked any depth at all. I just wanted to paint pretty girls <laughs> with um, wearing like South Asian traditional clothing because growing up here, I never really saw my culture being celebrated. And as a senior at my school, I saw so many younger South Asian girls. And I was like, I don't want them to feel the way that I did. So like ostracized and separated and kind of alienated. And so I was like, if I paint my my women celebrating themselves and their clothing and, and their beauty, which is something that isn't usually celebrated here, then I knew that those girls wouldn't feel that way, wouldn't feel alienated. They would, they would feel beautiful, which was one of those things that I never really felt growing up as oh, really? a brown girl, as a Pakistani girl. Because um, I don't see anybody like myself who looks like me on TV or in art even, because to appreciate any type of art is a luxury, is a privilege that I get because I live in New Zealand, which I'm really grateful for. Whereas if I grew up in Pakistan, I would have to worry about so many different things. It, I would not have this luxury. Mm. Yeah, oh, it really breaks my heart to hear you know, you talk about being ostracized and alienated because that is the truth for parts in our society that are not considered mainstream and yet we think we are such an open society and there is none of that, no barriers. Yeah, and I think that it is, it's really nice here, like it's not very, you know, obvious but when when you don't see someone like yourself, someone with thick curly dark hair and brown skin, darker skin, in in paintings or you know in movies or shows or even as journalists on TV you kind of feel like I I can't do these things mm -hmm. even though I myself I want to you know go into journalism and things like that which involves a lot of being in the media and so I'd like to open that up for a lot of girls and boys and other people who want, who think that kind of their skin is like a limitation subconsciously, 
even mm. though it isn't. And I don't know, maybe I might be the first person, but I'd love to do that and I'd love to push children into the arts mm. when they don't think they can, you know? I'd love for you to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the hoping that that is. But, you know, looking at your work and as you said, that um, you started with this uh, idea of beauty and then kind of reflected on how shallow some of that was. But your work is far from shallow. And at the same time, I'm so intrigued with um, the fact that you draw on your heritage, Pakistani heritage. And yet when I saw your artwork from a distance, I first thought it was a take on Klimt's painting, which mm -hmm. I have always loved, and this elaborate, beautiful garment on a woman who is absolutely stunning. And it turns out Klimt actually was one of your inspirations too. Yeah, so at school we have to use certain art artist models, and because I had such a kind of different idea, nobody at school really painted... South Asian cultures because a lot of South Asian students in the past never took visual arts like my older sister mm. never took visual arts to that level and so I was kind of the first person and the teacher was like none of the recommended artist models really fit but there's this one guy that I know Gustav Klimt and I, when I saw his works I was like this reminds me of everything that I wear on Eid, oh. uh, on, you know, any celebration in, uh, in Pakistan. This is, we adorn ourselves in gold and, and embroidery and very intricate, detailed clothing. And I was like, this is the artist model that I need to kind of show that beauty of our culture mm. in, our, in my paintings. Isn't that fabulous? So mm. kind of this, uh, yeah, go across boundaries of ethnicity and time and, you know, fashion ideals. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Klimt was very out there too. Yeah, he was. But the opulence, yeah. He just, the way he his works are so captivating and just so, just so well done. There's so many little details and you can look at it from far away and it looks amazing. Mm. You look at it close mm. up and it's even more, you know, just it's it's amazing. I don't even know what to say. Well, wonderful inspiration yeah. and uh, wonderfully creative to actually bring those elements together mm -hmm. and to recognize that bit that connects. So, yeah. yeah, fabulous. Okay, we will listen to some music and you have um, chosen... Pasuri by Ali Seti and Shay Gill. So why? This was actually the um, inspiration for my whole art board. Oh! <laughs> yeah, this song. It came out at the beginning of the year, and I remember watching the music video, and I was like, it was just amazing the way it celebrated South Asian culture, Pakistani culture. I was just, I was like, this is what I need to do in my artboard because I'd like to extend on this and also celebrate art in a country where it's difficult to do so. Mm, fabulous. And what does um, the song title actually mean? Um, I'm not fully sure because it's not in the language that no. I speak. No. Yeah. Well, let's uh, listen to Pasori.
ਲਾਵਾਂ ਮਜਬੂਰੀ ਨੂੰ ਆਣ ਜਾਣ ਦੀ ਪਸੂੜੀ ਨੂੰ ਜ਼ਹਿਰ ਬਣੇ ਹਾ ਤੇਰੀ ਪੀ ਜਾਵਾਂ ਮੈਂ ਪੂਰੀ ਨੂੰ ਆਣਾ ਸੀ ਉਹ ਨਹੀਂ ਆਇਆ ਦਿਲ ਬਾਗ ਬਾਗ ਮੇਰਾ ਟਕਰਾਇਆ ਕਾਗਾ ਬੋਲ ਕੇ ਦੱਸ ਜਾਵੇ ਪਾਵਾਂ ਕਿਉਂ ਦੀ ਚੂਰੀ ਨੂੰ ਰਾਵਾ ਚ ਬਾਵਾ ਚ ਉਹਨੂੰ ਲੁਕਾਵਾ ਕੋਈ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਨਾ ਰੋਕੇ ਮੇਰੇ ਡੋਲ ਜਦਾਈਆਂ ਦੀ ਤੈਨੂੰ ਖਬਰ Sugarloafing Arts Cast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. I'm Michaela Nyman and I'm your host. We are grateful for the sponsorship of Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Lenlai Centre. 
And today I have with me in the studio a young emerging artist who has done some amazing art. Sukina Shaw is an emerging young artist who won the George Mason Visual Arts Scholarship this year with her beautiful and thought-provoking work, To Be a Brown Woman, celebrating her own cultural background and the opulence and also... Uh, maybe not so positive aspects of being a woman in South Asian country. Would you like to talk a bit more about, you know, the messages behind all this beauty that you also capture? Because there is an underlying message that is much deeper and kind of more provoking, maybe. Mm-hmm. So um, before colonization. Um, the colonization of South Asia, women led almost every artistic practice in South Asia. Literature, poetry, dance, you know, performing, all performing arts. But, I mean, this was a place where women were held at a somewhat equal regard. I'm not going to say fully equal because that was non-existent at any place in the world at that time. This is um, 1700s. But it was a place where women had control over their own lives, control over their own incomes, over their own bodies, over their, you know, the way they expressed themselves, which is something that only recently women have been able to do. Even then, you look in countries like France and Iran, mm. you know. Look at what's happening in Iran at the moment. Mm. And France and a lot of European com- countries mm. banning the hijab and then on the flip side of the same coin, Iran banning, um, making it compulsory. Mm. It's just like, it's even hard to express ourselves now. But back then, it was, it's kind of like... Low-key utopian seeing that as a brown woman and seeing, like, we were celebrated and artistic practices were celebrated by women and we weren't objectified and sexualized and, you know, we were people. And then colonization came along and the colonial views on what women should be, a woman's duty to be a mother, to be a movable household object came into play and since they were in control of us for over a hundred years and I could go into the genocidal aspects (laughs) and stuff but I wouldn't I won't right now that changed how women were seen completely and you just look at how our clothing was changed how our traditions were changed everything women were no longer women but objects Mm. you know you did anything to do with the arts you're a prostitute that was the only option the only other thing you could do is be a housewife and take care of your children hide away as it were yeah because that's what a woman's due to your job was um in in colonial times and when they brought their culture along to us and implemented it. And so now the issue is that that mindset, although it's changed in Western countries, it hasn't changed in South Asia. 
we still see women who act or dance or do anything to do with any sort of arts as really out there and how are they going to get married mm. you know all this kind of thing and it's like is that a woman's job still like can we please like i i would like to go back even mm. to that time before where we understood the influence women led not just were a part of but led literature and poetry and dance and performing arts like what this is is mind blowing to me thinking about that this was ages ago but we're worse now mm. a little disappointing but so i could just imagine uh, would you even be able to take your paintings that you did for year 13 school portfolio would you be able to take them and exhibit them in pakistan in a public space in a gallery as a young female artist um i yes i could but i don't know i'd have to i don't have too many myself connections there and again it's that thing of people are so caught up in there's floods going on in pakistan mm. over a million people are suffering thousands and thousands have died and these issues are ongoing nobody really has the time and the privilege the luxury to be able to stop and be like i'm going to go look at this painting mm. which is another thing that i'd love to um write about um when it comes to like journalism and poetry i'd love to talk about that because it's something that's just not mm. you know Nobody really talks about how to be able to appreciate art is is one of the biggest luxuries mm. that you kind of only have in western countries nowadays. Mm. I worked with a group of um, Vanuatu women who mm. all wanted to be writers and we published this anthology together but there was three generations of women who had not had the luxury like you say to be published or consider it important enough but they had really important issues that they had wanted to put in the public space for a long time and mm -hmm. they wanted it to be appreciated as art as literature yeah. and the only way maybe to do it then was rather than self publish a cheap pamphlet to ensure a reputed publisher picks it up in this case uh, Teheranga Waka University Press that there is a cover art that is done by someone who's a female artist in Vanuatu who is internationally renowned that you mm -hmm. you know like all aspects of the work and to put it in the public space and now they are celebrating but it's also not smooth sailing there are exactly. backlashes how did they dare to be disrespectful and talk out about mm -hmm. speak up about things that are better hidden away yeah And I guess your art does speak up. You mm -hmm. are having political messages in it about the treatment of women, about the male gaze, about how women's bodies are perceived. And at the same time, it's deeply feminist in that these women are beautiful and they have dressed up for themselves in their most beautiful garments. And, you know. Yeah, I didn't. I really wanted to embrace certain features of like physical features that were often like frowned upon and still are like hooked noses and 
you know, thick eyebrows and, and things like that. I, I wanted to paint these because I wanted to normalize them. Mm. I didn't want to paint very slim, you know, everything small kind of women because, yes, of course, that's still beautiful, but this these women, so many of them exist as well, but you don't see them portrayed as beautiful ever. And this roots back to a lot of racism, anti-Semitism, and things like that, um, which is also another thing that I uh, kind of mention in my works is a lot of like stereotypical mm. um, caricatures of people of color and minorities. And I flipped the kind of situation, so I, I made caricatures of the colonizers. I never really painted them with any depth because I wanted kind of that thing. I was like, why am I going to put so much effort into somebody who would never do that for me? I love that. I love that. And it also actually reminds me of uh, the exhibition we had earlier in the year, Kadim Ali's uh, exhibition at uh, Govet Brewster, mm -hmm. which was about pre-Islam uh, demons uh, in Afghanistan, in uh, you know, take, taking those and sitting them side by side, also taking the colonizers aspect and the military, you know, reality that is part of the history making now, but, but setting it side by side by all those demons that are beautiful in their own strangeness. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that also have, have a place, but it's very unusual. And so also flipping, like you're talking about. So instead mm -hmm. of stereotyping and making a caricature out of beautiful women for you you have flipped it on its head the women are the centerpiece and the others are kind of the um, sidekicks yeah because I you know especially growing up even recently only up until very very recently people have been able to recognize anti-semitic caricatures in media mm. they look at Harry Potter the underground bankers or whatever, they are racist, mm. extremely anti-Semitic caricatures of Jewish people. Um, and that's so recent. Yep. And I was like, the way that that, and also another one that I wanted to use was blackface um, done of um, African-American mm. people. I wanted to use that in my paintings, but do it of the white man because that's what they did to African-American people, to Jewish people, mm. and to South Asian people. Mm. And I wanted to kind of flip it. I mean, I, I look back at it now, and I'm like, it's a it was a bit immature and angsty <laughs> teenager decision to be like, you know what, I'm going to have my revenge. But... <laughs> You you are totally okay to do that. I mean, there's much more mature and older people who are doing it all the time. I think it was a very mature way of doing it. So I was like, so I painted all of them with very yellow hair and, and white, bluish skin. I didn't really paint any details in their faces. And that's not a generalization. It was just like, I was quite upset at the time. And I was like, I really don't 
I'm just gonna feel sick if I <laughs> paint somebody very carefully that I don't really want to. <laughs> it's an artist's choice. <laughs> <laughs> And you express it beautifully. So we are going to listen to um, another song. And uh, I'm so grateful, by the way, that uh, I've been introduced to these totally new artists that I have not listened to. So it's really interesting. And uh, this is um, Sajan Dasna by Atif Aslam. And when I looked up Atif Aslam... Oh my goodness, he's received the uh, uh, fourth highest civilian honor award from the Pakistani government in 2008. Um, he predominantly sings in Urdu, but has also sung in Punjabi, Bengali and Pashto. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So why did you choose this song? I chose this song because I feel like he really embodies modern Pakistani music really well it's I've been listening to him since I was literally a child he was in one all of my favorite Bollywood movies would have his music in it (laughs) and it just he's just amazing it's just talent talent and talent that's all it's a very beautiful song and of course um, there's uh, also other singers on it but uh, yeah let's Mm -hmm. listen to Sajan Dasna by Atif Aslam
Welcome back to the Sugarloafing Artscast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. I'm your host and I'm Michaela Nyman. And we are grateful to our sponsors, Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Center. And today I'm here in the studio with an emerging young artist, Sukina Shaw, who, or Shah, who has won the George Mason Visual Arts Scholarship this year with her beautiful and thought-provoking work, To Be a Brown Woman which is pretty amazing. We will put up some Facebook photos, but there are influences of, you know, her own Pakistani culture, of uh, Gustav Klimt's opulence, of all the beautiful garments uh, women dress in in Southeast Asia or South Asia, and also um, what is happening in the art world and in the political world. You have so many layers here. (laughs) I really do hope that you continue with your art education. And of course, this scholarship is going to go towards some of that in the next few years. So are you going to Auckland? Is that where you're heading? Um, My sister's there and she's, you know, all the women in my family, massive inspiration for me. And my dad is such a feminist himself. Which I don't know if he'd like to admit it himself, but he's always <laughs> like, you know what, Skinner, you can't do anything until you are a professional, established woman on your own. I'm not going to let you do anything else. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> how, many, <laughs> how many are you in your family then? Um, I have two sisters, and but um, unfortunately both of my grandfathers passed away quite early on. So... Everyone in my family, everything was led just by women. Like, I look at both my grandmothers, they carry the households. And just the appreciation I have. I look at my own mother, I get all my creative influence from her. She is such an amazing woman. I can't even, I love her so much. Fabulous. And is that, um, has, she ever held any, you know, desire or ambition to also be a creative uh, artist in some form? She is an artist. Yeah. She is amazing. You should see her clothes that she makes. I'm so jealous. Literally before this, I went and I was like, you have to teach me how to sew. Oh, yes. She's (laughs) She's the best embroiderer, sewer. I still wear her clothing, and every time, the last time I wore her um, dress that she made when she was, I don't know, in her early 20s or something, I wore it, and I was on the cover of the newspaper. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) She's that amazing. Well, 
it would be fabulous to actually see more of her work. But uh, yeah. that is a skill. We just talked yesterday. I talked with a ceramicist who was, um, you know, teaching different ways of mending and also, you know, like the whole Japanese concept of wabi-sabi and other things where mm-hmm. you take something that is broken but you mend it so it becomes more beautiful and a different yeah, way. Yeah, and it's kind of also, we were talking about clothes that uh, maybe our, you know, parents or even grandparents have worn that suddenly become fashionable or valuable in their own right. So mm-hmm. we want to have them again and we want to wear them again and yeah yeah I feel that same way it's just anything like I'll see something and my mom will be like you know I I made that when I was your age or you know and I'm just I don't even know what to say mind is blown every (laughs) single time she's such a talented woman I love her oh that's amazing and so any of your siblings then have they gone into any creative pursuits um not my elder sister. She's quite a. She's quite into like global studies and and politics and things like that, which is another thing that my family's quite interested in. Um, my my younger sister, she she's creative in in a quite like engineer kind of way. Oh wow! She always comes up with cool ideas and and constructions she's a she's amazing honestly i can just see a team effort coming up <laughs> in the future <laughs> we do so many things together she's always making things like I, she's amazing she's an inventor honestly engineers are good for an artist to have on their side you know they can <laughs> <laughs> yeah i I'll probably need that when I'm older. <laughs> they can help realize tricky things mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, that sounds wonderful. And I also, um, you know, fully acknowledge the need to have not only supportive parents, but actually the men in your family, that they are the ones paving the way sometimes for women who are not otherwise able to go down certain paths. Yeah, I'm so, so incredibly grateful for my parents because if they did not... Because they kind of mold you into the person you are when you're younger. And if they had changed even one thing, I don't think I would be here right now talking to you. (laughs) I don't think I would have even painted the artboard. They have given me so much creative freedom that is so difficult for other South Asian kids or even kids of immigrants because there's this fear of the, that the parents have, and it's out of love, honestly, mm. that is my child going to be okay when they're older and financially stable? Because they, there's no family here apart from the two parents and mm. maybe siblings. Yeah, you that know? makes you vulnerable, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And the parents worry, mm. and they're like, you know what, I want you to do the best you can. And in the arts, there isn't many opportunities to mm. make, you know, so much money mm. and whatnot. And, but my parents, they, they really wanted a South Asian woman, Pakistani Muslim woman, to have a voice in the media. And I love talking. So <laughs> they were like, Sienna, you need to do this. This is your job, painting in acting, journalism, writing, everything, just do it and get a voice out there mm. for us because there isn't 
Well, that's a bonus for us. We are grateful. <laughs> and uh, you and your family embody both the immigrant and the first generation New Zealander. Mm-hmm. So how old were you when you came to New Zealand? I was eight years old. Yeah, so I was born in Pakistan. Then I moved to Scotland when I was maybe a year old. And then I moved back to Pakistan, and then Iran, and then Egypt, and then here. Wow, that's <laughs> a long haul for an yeah. eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never, you know, change my childhood for anything, sort mm. of, or anything. I think the objective point of view that it gave me on the world's political situations is something that I'm so grateful for. I can look away from, you know, subjectivity and what my opinions are and anger and emotion a lot of times to what's happening to people, you know? Sometimes we get so caught up in like, this is my favorite leader, so obviously I want to side with him or her in every situation. Are they doing something good, you know? What's the impact on... Mm the majority in this situation Mm. and that's an outlook that I got because of growing up in so many different places absolutely seeing not only you know one side but also the people and what's actually happening on the ground Mm -hmm. what about um, language have you managed to uh, retain you know language skills can you read arabic and <laughs> yes i can read arabic um but i cannot speak arabic <laughs> i know uh, that feeling too <laughs> not arabic but yeah, yeah reading is sometimes easier than when you don't get the opportunity to yeah. speak so often and um yeah i speak well i know how to but to say i speak it is um <laughs> i don't know if that's true I I know Urdu and Sindhi, um, yeah, languages that I understand. Mm. Oh, fabulous. Well, you know, you can always revive those. I'm sure that if you would be immersed in the culture and language, you would pick it up in no time. I'd love to. I really want to. (laughs) So we are going to listen to uh, In a Sentimental Mood by Ella Fitzgerald. How come you picked this one? (laughs) That was such a surprise. (laughs) I am the biggest jazz fan in the world. (laughs) Like, I can't even tell you. I listen to so much jazz. And a lot of um, the painting inspiration for the women came from jazz music. Oh. Because jazz jazz is led by um, black people in America. Mm Mm-hmm. And the women, just so captivating, gorgeous, and just like, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. Like Ella Fitzgerald herself, Billie Holiday, all of them. Mm, Sarah Vaughan. Yeah, they're amazing, and I just have such a like appreciation for them. They're so, yeah, captivating, beautiful when mm. they sing, when they perform. That's what I wanted to kind of have the same vibe of with the women in my paintings. I think it's a really good vibe, one to emulate. So here's Ella Fitzgerald in a sentimental mood. In a sentimental mood I can see the stars come through my room 
while your loving attitude is like a flame that lights the gloom on the wings of every kiss drifts the melody so strange and sweet in this sentimental bliss you make my paradise complete rose petals seem to fall it's all like a dream to call you mine my heart's a lighter thing since you made this night a thing divine in a sentimental mood i'm within a world so heavenly for i never dreamt that you'd be loving Welcome back to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Artscast and I'm here with Sukena Shah and we are talking about um, her work as a young artist who just won the George Mason Visual Arts Scholarship this year with her beautiful and thought-provoking work To Be a Brown Woman, which was part of her Year 13 school portfolio. And I'm sure your teacher is just, you know, blown away. <laughs> I'm very proud this moment. So you are into a number of different um, uh, art disciplines. You mm-hmm. talked about maybe writing and you're also acting in a play. Yeah, I am. In, Tell us. <laughs> in December, oh, from the 15th to the 18th of December this year, I am performing at the Fourth Wall Theatre. I'm playing Maggie in the play called The Road That Wasn't There. It's a um, New Zealand play set in Dunedin about a girl who follows a map off the edge of the world. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. And who is the playwright or director? Oh, the director is Holly Shanahan. Amazing, amazing woman. (laughs) I love her so much. And this is your first uh, play where you've been the lead? Yes. Well, sort of the lead. 
um, quite excited because it's not an opportunity that colored people get very often. Um, but this role, I think, that Holly felt was quite fitting for me, um, and which is why she casted me as it, I think. So, yeah. And uh, it's only going to be on for three days. Oh, four, four days, yeah. mm, 15th to 18th of mm -hmm. December at the fourth wall here in New Plymouth. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. And um, has it given you any kind of um, inspiration to go further into theatre, do you think? I love theatre <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, I just think performing is, you know, another way of showing a message, which is what I love to do with my paintings. And one of my biggest hobbies in the world is public speaking. Whenever I get the chance to, I always, you know, school speech competitions. Out of the five years that I was at Girls High, I won four of them. Which and the congratulations! Fifth one, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I didn't do the fifth one because I was just going through a rough patch. But I just I love it so much. And performing—that's just another form of performance—is public speaking and which is why I think I love journalism so much. So I, I would like to go down theater and film as well. I just, I love everything. I don't know <laughs> I'm going to pick. I think I'll never stop painting, that's for sure. Um, but I'd love to continue acting and writing. Those mm. are my biggest things. Gosh, I really hope that you get all the opportunities in the world to do that in Auckland. A law degree isn't exactly, you know, something <laughs> to be had on the side. No, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that it can help me um, have a voice in the media and kind of talk on things that usually aren't discussed from my perspective. Yeah, and at the same time, I think that uh, your artwork does that beautifully too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it sounds like an amazing kind of combination. Yeah. Watch out, world. <laughs> <laughs> Something is coming at you very soon. <laughs> and when did you go back to Pakistan last or when did you leave? Was that when you were eight years old. Have you been back since? Yes, I have been back. I went back right before COVID happened. Um, and I don't know, I really want to go back. I just, I love to go back. The culture is something that I just, I connect with so much and the family there. It's, I wouldn't change it for the world, honestly. Mm. It's amazing. Well, Food. let's hope you manage to get some of the, uh, you know, maybe a scholarship or a residency or, you know, those opportunities are there too mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah, I'd love to visit my family in Pakistan sometime soon, inshallah. Yes, yes, let's hope for that. Mm -hmm. And where can people find your art if they listeners have been intrigued here by what you uh, are doing in the art space where can people actually find you oh well I am quite active on Instagram and my Instagram handle is at suku dot la sukula which is a nickname that I had growing up and I I hated it so much <laughs> but now I'm kind of reclaiming it so I'm Yay. only a DM away <laughs> for any commission work or anything. 
Very yeah. cool. And we will put up some uh, of your uh, uh, artworks on the Sugarloafing Artscast Facebook too. And actually, I have to ask you before we go separate ways, your arts portfolio was pretty amazing, the whole portfolio, but this is the year 13 kind of school portfolio. But it's also a very tightly held, constructed unit. And how did you choose the one artwork that you were allowed to submit for the George Mason Award? Um, That work is on the bottom of my second panel, which looks like it was one of my most recent works. But it was actually one of my first works. And it was... (laughs) I had not done any work before that one. And so that's the only one I could submit. And so I was like... Okay, I I literally finished it in such a rush just so I could apply for the scholarship. Didn't even have it done on time. And then Chris extended the time because only one person had applied. So I got a little bit more time and I finished it. I was crying over that painting because it just wasn't turning out right. And I finally had it in and it turned out good. (laughs) Well, there you go. And, And this one, for anyone listening out there who has... Um, you know, students in year 13, apply, apply. What yeah. time of the year does it come up? Um, I think you apply like in the middle of the year. So I'd say end of term two, mm. maybe June, July. Mm-hmm. And just as a reminder, this is the George Mason Visual Arts Scholarship that was launched in 2016 and is managed by the Govette Brewster Art Gallery. So you can go on the website and uh, check it out. And the objective of um, this uh, Visual Arts Scholarship is to assist a senior secondary school student to continue their visual arts study at the tertiary level. And this includes Maori visual art, design and architecture courses. So it's a really amazing way to support a young person and also to get that extra boost that you have done something that someone else thinks is so good. Yeah, uh, I think that one of the... I'm so grateful for this opportunity as well as, you know, getting that recognition, which I think is one of the key things that artists need. Um, Yeah, how will you keep going if no one notices (laughs) what you do? (laughs) Especially being young as well, having absolutely no connections anywhere. And also as an immigrant, like my parents don't know any artists here. And so just this opportunity and to be able to get the scholarship is something that I'm going to be forever grateful for. I can't even... I'm so grateful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are grateful if it keeps you on the road to making more art Thank you so much for coming in. It's been amazing. And good luck with your art journey, your art practice, and all the important things you want to speak out about in whichever creative way you form, you know, you choose to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michaela. (laughs) I so appreciate this, really. Cool. Okay, look forward to seeing you. Don't don't escape to Auckland and become an <laughs> Aucklander for good. <laughs> I'll be back. Okay, we'll take that as a promise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Goodbye. You. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sugarloafing Arts Cast on 104.4 FM. 
My name is Michaela Naiman, and you can contact me with feedback and ideas for shows at Access Radio Taranaki, or email me on community at accessradiotaranaki.com. You can check out the artists, guests, and their fabulous work on our Sugarloafing Facebook page and Instagram. To listen to previous episodes of the show, go to accessradiotaranaki.com and search us up under current shows. The Sugarloafing Cast was made possible with the support of Govet Brewster Art Gallery and the Len Lai Center. Until next week. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand on air. To find more local content, go to our website accessradiotaranaki.com